I'd like to welcome on Terry Terrence, and I wanted to have the opportunity to go through some of the important points, uh, basically through your model railroading interests. And one of my favorite times that you've talked about historically was you were growing up in New York and you're experiencing particularly subways, but also there was a lot going on at the time that you were growing up in New York. Can you talk a little bit about your early railroading experiences and what got you into the hobby? Yes, for a kid growing up in New York City, which is what I was back then, uh, trains meant subways, Mm -hmm. at least for me. And back in the day, the New York subways were a lot safer than they are today. So as a 10-year-old kid, I could go anywhere in the city that I wanted Mm -hmm. uh, via the subway. Uh, And New York City is surrounded by water. Mm. rivers and bays and the ocean so that opened up beaches and fishing and a whole (laughs) bunch of other things but also uh because we did have uh manhattan island and the bronx and brooklyn and queens and staten island for that matter are all surrounded by water there were some interesting float operations in New York City, which I was not aware of. Mm. And I sort of missed those. One of which was uh, the uh, Reading Lines modeled by uh, Tim Warris Mm -hmm. uh, along the Harlem River. And they weren't the only ones who had uh, float terminals along the rivers. Baltimore and Ohio had one on Manhattan Island at mm-hmm. 26th Street. And uh, op- operations like the Brooklyn Eastern District Terminal mm. Railroad in Brooklyn operated steam into the 1960s. Yes. And I sort of missed all that. But to me, trains meant subways initially. And that's why I collected almost all of the uh, MTH subways Mm-hmm. in O scale. Even though some of them are not good scale representations, they got better <laughs> as time went along. Certainly. So uh, I have a number of uh, O scale subways, and usually what would happen would be I would buy the uh, two-car extension sets mm-hmm. uh, because I, although subways were three-rail and MTH was three rail. It was center third rail instead of outside third Mm. rail. And unfortunately, I didn't realize there were modelers who were adapting the MTH subways to outside third rail until we had the O-Scale convention in 2018. At which time I found out that there's a healthy transit modeling community in O scale Mm. and uh, they were converting the uh, MTH subways to run outside third rail. So anyway, that was my humble beginnings. So I was in three rail until, well, let me back up. (laughs) I got my first, I got my first train set as when I was seven for Mm. Christmas and it was Lionel, of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, model trains were the interactive toy. Certainly. And I think we lose sight of that, that, you know, 
for Christmas back then, everyone wanted a train mm -hmm. because it was something you could manipulate. Certainly. And today there are so many other things filling that niche for interactive toys. Mm. And maybe that's why our hobby is hurting a little bit. Mm. Anyway, uh, I was a happy three railer through mm -hmm. the usual distractions, slot cars and marriage. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, that was until about 1983 mm. in 83 Lionel was on the ropes. This was before, uh, Mr. Kuhn bought the company mm. and, uh, it was at the point where post-war Lionel was costing about the same as, um, O scale brass. Mm. So I decided to make the jump into two rail O scale. Gosh. But before that, I was a pretty happy three railer. I mm. was trying to make my three rail trains look more realistic mm -hmm. by say, putting extra ties under the, um, two rail, uh, three Certainly. rail track. Uh, and uh, ballasting the now much more realistic looking track, but <laughs> I was using things like parakeet gravel mm. because you could get that at the local stores by me. I didn't sure. have to uh, walk to a hobby shop, mm -hmm. but uh, I was lucky in as much as I lived in an area where I could walk to uh, Madison Hardware, which was the mecca for the three rail guys. Mm. Uh, Madison Hardware was absolutely fantastic. They had all sorts of Lionel from all their eras, mm. and they even had some Lionel prototypes in there Gosh. that were never made it to production. Gosh. And I still have a few of the pieces I bought at madison hardware mm. so i was very fortunate but anyway i was a fairly happy three railer until about 1983 when i made the jump to uh two rail mm. and was My it just based on I, price terry or what was the what were the defining factors that made you jump to, well, to two rail? what eventually convinced me was the cost mm. When uh, post-war Lionel, especially the better pieces, equaled uh, contemporary two-rail brass, mm. there was no point in staying with, uh, with three-rail anymore. Remember, at this time, about 1983, O-Scale was still a fairly major player in Certainly. the model railroad hobby space. Mm -hmm. So it was not unusual to go into a hobby shop and see two rail O scale, uh, equipment there. Mm. Now three rail has totally eclipsed two rail, but, um, back in the day that was not so mm. Interesting. it was more of a parody. Interesting. Anyway. Um, so my wife and I bought our first house in 1981 in mm. Westchester County, New York. And my intent was to wall off the back of the garage because this house had no basement. Mm. It was one of those split level houses where you come in and you can go either up or down. Certainly. But the downstairs was finished and it was going to be impossible to uh, 
build a layout Certainly. down there. Uh, so what I was looking to do was wall off the back of the garage. By this time, I had discovered the uh, B&O's operation on Staten Island mm. and it was my intention to model that. It's interesting because the Baltimore and Ohio ran the Staten Island Rapid Transit, which was basically a subway line on the surface mm. in uh, Staten Island. There had been a uh, tunnel planned between Staten Island and uh, Brooklyn. And uh, so all of this always goes back to subways. Mm. So uh, the B&O's operation on Staten Island was very interesting. They had freight uh, passenger from the uh, rapid transit side. Mm. And they had even planned a coal terminal for Staten Island, which never materialized. Mm. And there was a bridge from Staten Island to New Jersey on the backside of Staten Island. Yes. So there was uh, quite a bit of uh, mainline railroad operation on Staten Island. Mm. And that was my intent to model that. Well... It never materialized. Mm. I never could wall off the back of the garage to build a layout. Mm. Eventually, I took a job in Connecticut. And uh, so we had to move. And with the move came an opportunity to build our house, mm. which we did. Mm -hmm. And uh, I built it with a 52-foot basement. Gosh. And so I was basically in O-scale nirvana. <laughs> but two things kept me from building a layout there. One was the uh, oil heat system mm. tended to produce a lot of soot. Mm. And until we, uh, effectively, until we were about to move from West, uh, from Connecticut, I never understood why the old heat system was producing soot. Mm. But eventually I understood, and it could have been remedied, but mm. for all the time we lived there, it was not. Yeah. So it produced a lot of soot, and I didn't want this soot to get on my trains. No. The other thing was every time I cleared out some space in the basement <laughs> to build something, yes. a whole bunch of stuff appeared. Isn't that amazing? That space. Isn't that amazing? Yes. It's a problem still to this day. I'm fighting this problem still, Terry. Smarter people than us must be working on this, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I think it's a law of nature, right? Yes. It's one of those conservation laws. Something like that, yes. That... Uh, any space you create will be filled with stuff. Yes. Whereas I think you once said detritus. Yes, detritus is the term I use, but yes. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I had this basement, couldn't use it. We mm. stayed in uh, Connecticut for 14 years. Mm. So, and keep that in mind, we were, uh, because... In my, in the end, I'm going to talk about lessons learned. And yes. one of the things you should not do is put off building your layout because things can creep up on you. Amen. You don't have all the time in the world. Yes. Another job opportunity came up in uh, 2005. Mm. 
we moved to actually 2006, we moved to Virginia. Mm. In Virginia, we could not find a house that we really liked. Mm. Uh, and part of the problem was that we had custom built a house in Connecticut. And once you've done that, mm. buying a ready-built house is very unsatisfactory. <laughs> Always with compromise. <laughs> but we did find a house with a basement. Wonderful. And the intent was to build another house within two years of us moving there. Mm. In the meantime, I had learned my lesson, and I said, let me get the, uh, the layout started. Mm. While we were in Connecticut... I had a change of my modeling interests. Hmm. I discovered uh, Robert's book on the B&O West End. Interesting. And the B&O West End had several things to recommend it. First, it was, uh, it was uh, remote and very infrequently modeled. Hmm. Second, it had very little tangent track, mm. which is a problem you frequently find on model railroads. Certainly. As a matter of fact, I came into uh, the actual B&O track plan diagrams for the West End, and they're right. There isn't much tangent track. Interesting. Uh, there are few online industries, mm. which means that uh, I didn't have to build many sidings or spurs, mm -hmm. and that's both a blessing and a curse. Mm. It's a curse because if you're into operations, which I was not at the time, you know, you don't have much operating interest Certainly. on a railroad that's basically just a through route. Mm. And on the west end of the B&L, coal is king. Amen. But they did have mixed freight and passenger operations as well. As a matter of fact, the uh, Baltimore and Ohio's famous Cincinnatian train ran over mm -hmm. the West End until about 1949-50. Mm. But you also can't cheat because you have mostly open-top hoppers. Mm. So loads and empties have to go in opposite directions. Certainly. And you can't fake it. <laughs> interesting so, but even though i hadn't visited the area i and uh i resolved to uh build a west end layout hmm. but with the move to virginia at least i could visit certainly the area it was about four hours away hmm and I did my first visit there in 2007. Gosh. It's interesting that you're within 100 or so miles of the nation's capital. Mm, yes. And uh, yet it's as remote and as wild almost as the day when the railroad first built through there. Wonderful. So, so now we were in Virginia. We had a house with a basement, although not the house we thought we were going to eventually mm -hmm. settled in. So I decided to get the railroad underway. Mm. It took me about six months to get the basement painted and finished up to accept the railroad, and then a little bit longer to design the track plan. Mm. And some of that was taking very accurate measurements of where everything was in the basement. Mm -hmm. And that paid off big time later on 
because I designed the layout in CAD, Third mm. Planet, actually. Interesting. And when I built it, everything was within an inch of where the CAD program said it should be. Wonderful. So I built, I started the layout in 2007. The first section went up. We had moved there in 2006. Mm. And I built the layout in semi-sectional because we were intending to move in a couple of years. Well, it turns out that that didn't happen. Mm. The uh, real estate market collapsed. We couldn't get out the money we had paid for the house, so we decided to stay there, which was a good thing Mm. because I didn't have to start the railroad over again. So I built out the railroad over time. During that time, I also had to work outside the area, going Mm. to Jersey for the week and then returning on weekends only. So Mm. I really only had Saturdays to build out the railroad. So it took me longer than one would have thought. Mm -hmm. So the railroad was built from 2007 to... uh, 2015 Mm. before the the track work was all completed now i designed the railroad to imitate the operations on the bno's west end and to handle the locomotives Mm. that you know ran over the west end yes so minimum radii were set for the EM1 locomotives, which were the largest mm. that BNO ran at that time. And the time period was going to be 49 to 52. Mm. So the layout was, track work was completed before I basically started any scenery. Mm. And that was a mistake. I should mm. have scenic as I went. <laughs> But uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Certainly. Anyway, um, let's see. You're in a particularly interesting area as well. I mean, there was a certain model railroading luminary that had impacted the area, and particularly in O scale. And there was an informal group I know that you were a part of that carried on this gentleman's legacy, but also did a lot of their own stuff as well. Can you talk about? the local O-scale community that you were a part of. Yes. When I got down here to Virginia, basically the Washington, D.C. area, um, I had been down here for the 2004 convention. Mm. And during that time, I saw John Armstrong's layout. Now, John Armstrong had entered the hospital at that point in Mm. time. He was not at his layout so i did not meet him personally yes but i did see his layout and i came in contact with the guys down here in the washington dc o scale group it's a very informal group Mm. and the way it worked was uh we would meet at people's layouts in a round robin fashion Mm -hmm. on a friday night Mm. when everyone was in theory, working in the district, and it was not a problem to uh, to uh, drive to anyone's layout mm. in the D.C., Virginia, you know, uh, Maryland Certainly. area. Certainly. So, and the club worked very well, and a lot of the layouts were designed by John Armstrong, and his legacy was 
as they would say, strong in this group. Certainly. So uh, that worked out very well. Anyway, let's see. So once I had enough of my layout built out to host, I started hosting periodically the group at my layout. And that mm. started around 2011. Okay, interesting. Layout was not anywhere near complete, but I thought I had enough uh, up to uh, give people an idea of what it would look like. And the uh, modeling in this group was very high level. Certainly. And I got tremendous inspiration and ideas from the people in this group. Mm. Um, so let's see. You started adding scenery from memory through the period of time you were actually calling into Model Rail Radio. I don't know specifically, but you mentioned 2015. It was certainly soon after then that you started spending more time on scenery. And I remember that was a, as you say, you did the track work first and then you came back and then you formally did the scenery. Can you talk a little bit about that period? Well, I had started putting in landforms. Mm. Basically, that's as far as it got. I was using, uh, you know, high-density foam and carving it to the mm. landforms. And there were some interesting uh, uh, constructs on the West End. They had, uh, in 1907, in anticipation of getting articulated on the West End, they had what they called daylighted some tunnels. Mm. So they took and r ripped the roof off of these tunnels. Certainly. And uh, I was going to model at least one of those on mm. the layout. So that was a very interesting thing. To, it looked like a, uh, a deep cut, but it Certainly. was really supposed to be a daylighted tunnel. Mm. Interesting. And uh, so the landforms were, I won't say largely in, but some of them were in. Mm. But uh, that was also a mistake. I should have seen it as I went mm -hmm. because once you have all your trackage in, it's a little bit hard to work over the track work. Certainly. You have to cover the track work so it doesn't get damaged. It mm. doesn't have, you know, plaster or other goop Certainly. on it. Yes, yes. And uh, it probably would have been uh, better to to uh, scenic as I went. Mm. And it also meant that scenery never got completed even on one small section mm. of the layout. Yes. And that's unfortunately a shame. Yes. So let's see. We had the, the O-Scale convention down here in, in Maryland in 2018. Mm, amazing. And I worked very hard on that one. I think you came down for Most that. Most definitely. Um, yes. And, well uh, remembered. You saw a lot of the layouts in our Ron Robin group. Unfortunately, yes. because my because I had spent so much time uh working the convention certainly my layout was not in a in a condition to be shown yes. so my layout was not on the tour and unfortunately that's that was unfortunate mm. so shortly after the convention in 2018 i started to develop a uh, problem with my walking and balance mm. 
And eventually through 2019, it became obvious that I was in a two-story house and it was probably not wise to continue in that two-story house. Certainly. Because eventually I would have fallen down the stairs. I almost did on a mm. couple of occasions yes. and would probably have broken my neck. Yeah. So uh, we decided that we had to move mm. into a one-level house. Yes. So the layout was effectively doomed from that point mm. forward. I had one more open house in November of 2019, Certainly. which was for a joint meeting of the NMRA's two divisions down here, the mm -hmm. James River Division and the Potomac Division. That was also the day I gave my last clinic on how I built my railroad. Mm. And people came by afterwards, and they were very complimentary. Certainly. So it was a it was a nice end to uh, to the railroad's existence. Mm. In the selling of the house, we thought we had a buyer who coincidentally was an HO modeler. <laughs> so I offered to leave up the backdrops for him because the backdrops were not scale specific. Mm. They were just painted a sky blue. Mm. So it would have given him a, uh, a leg up on his Certainly. building a layout. Unfortunately, he was not able to cons or complete the deal. Alas. So, yeah, missed opportunities. Yes. <laughs> but the layout was torn out on uh, September the 19th mm. in 2020. Mm. That was before the deal with this HO modeler fell through. Mm. Now, we did try to disassemble the layout because it was built semi-sectional. Certainly. Uh, to begin with. So we were able to disassemble the layout without too much destruction. Mm. And uh, somewhere on the web, I think on the O-Scale Kings website, there's a picture of the crew who helped me disassemble it. And Dave Vaughn was part of that crew. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, Nick Bolgerino and Jim Cantor came mm. and... They all helped. Very nice. And we piled it right into a 21-foot uh, U-Haul, and I hauled <laughs> it off to, uh, to a storage unit Yes. where it stays to this day. Yes. Now, I have given the layout away, but I believe it's still in the storage unit. Yes. And before this assembly, I numbered all the sections, Very good. all the leg sets. Very good. So it should be a question of color by number to put it all back together again Certainly. and let's see and that's pretty much it yes um so what did i learn from this whole thing yes first don't put off building your layout yes i had so many false starts and i look back on it and say i could have had decades of further enjoyment mm. of a layout of building a layout whatever but yes. i put it off for too long so in this advice would you think building structures early or you know i mean you had you had the rolling stock and stuff that you had in many cases actually assembled from scratch or reconstructed so you did do some of this through the period right yes well 
collecting equipment is not difficult. <laughs> As you well know, most model railroaders have a hobby shop in their basement somewhere. Yes, at least a hobby I shop. Was, I was no different. <laughs> yes. In fact, you don't figure out how much of a hoarder you are until you have to move. Oh, man. Okay, so, uh, so yes, I had the equipment, but building the layout is key. Certainly. Uh, you can have, you can build equipment, you can display equipment, but it's not equivalent to running equipment. Certainly. So don't put out, put off building your layout. I happen to disagree with Tony Custer, who thinks that model railroading will become a hobby for retirees. I mm. think that's the wrong, interesting, uh, wrong approach to it. Certainly, get out, build your layout as soon as you can. Now, mm. you should anticipate that you're going to move at least once after your layout is built. Yes. So, build it at least sectional mm. and probably modular. Mm. The other problem is don't fill the, all the space available. Mm. I did that and built out to the walls of my basement. Yes. Trying to find another basement with the same or larger dimensions can be quite a difficult task. Mm. Okay, so don't fill all the space available. Leave yourself some wiggle room. Interesting. Because you never know what basement you're going to have next. Yes. It may not be a basement at all. It may be an attic. Yes. Okay, so leave yourself some some uh, margin. Now, I had designed a unified track plan, mm. which mimicked the operation of a specific time and place and designed for specific locomotives and rolling stock. Yes. And probably it was too specific. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that prevented me from finding another space for the layout. Mm. So leave yourself some leeway. Yes. Leave yourself some wiggle room. Do you think it's important to find very specific areas? I mean, when we talk to people on Model Rail Radio, they find particular yards or even particular how you know small structures at the end of a yard or these kind of things. Do you think that's the way people should look at it? Well, I think um, the idea of choosing a specific time, place, and prototype mm. prevents you from just going out and buying everything you can see. Certainly. <laughs> yes. So limit yourself is a good idea, I think, but don't be so specific that you have no room for changes. Yes. So, for instance, pick your railroad for sure. Pick your time likely mm. because that will, for instance, if you pick transition period, which is popular with mm. modelers, you don't have to collect modern equipment. Certainly. You don't have to collect 19th century equipment. Yes. So pick your time and place. Mm. I'm sorry, pick your railroad and mm -hmm. time period. Yes. When it comes to place, you can probably be a little bit looser mm. because your modeling interests may change over time. Mm. Um, so that would be my recommendation is 
at least pick your railroad so you know what models you should buy. Certainly. Pick your time period so you know what models you shouldn't buy. Yes. But leave your place a little bit looser. Interesting. Because you may have to change over time. Certainly. Anyway, that's... uh, that's nearly what I want to say, but the other thing is, I have to say, model railroading has been a lifelong hobby with me, Certainly. and it's sustained me through mm. my life and through my uh, all the phases of my life. Certainly, you know, I can show you my Lionel catalogs from back <laughs> in the day are all dog-eared and yes. the covers are long gone yes. because I read them over. Yes. Throughout high school and college, and uh, like I said, that kept me going. Yes, certainly. So it's a good hobby. Yes. I'd recommend anyone to get into this hobby. It's a multifaceted hobby because there's carpentry. Certainly. History, electronics, electrical, Mm -hmm. scenery. Yes. You know, painting, decaling. Certainly. It's uh, such a multifaceted hobby. You're going to learn so many skills. Yes. Uh, in the course of, of doing model railroading that it's, it's very, very worthwhile. Certainly. Well, Terry, thank you for the opportunity to have a, a chance to chat today. It's always a, a privilege and many insights offered in our conversation today as always. So thank you very much for the chance to chat and, uh, Feel free to uh, you know drop onto Model Rail Radio when you can. Um, and it's interesting, actually. I haven't yet quite gotten your audio edited and put out, but my suspicion is that there are people local to you that are also listeners to Model Rail Radio that may not know that you've come into the area. So uh, if I do get any of those contacts, I'll certainly pass them on. But thank you for the opportunity to chat today. It's been a real privilege. Okay, Tom, and I want to say yet again that I really am indebted to you for opening up my model railroading opportunities and my horizons in model railroading. And model radio is just a tremendous, tremendous effort on your part. Thank you, Terry. Much appreciated. You're welcome.